Welcome to Create Shift. If you're new here, welcome. And if you've been listening for a while, welcome back. It's so lovely to have you here. Create Shift is a podcast to support, encourage, and inspire you to live your most purposeful and holistic life. It's hosted by me, Ellen of Being Change. I'm here to support all of us to live our happiest, healthiest, and most fulfilled lives. And this podcast is one of the ways in which I hope to do that. Thank you so much for being here. Now, on to today's episode. Hello, welcome to today's episode of Create Shift. In today's episode, I chat with Sarah von Wagen of yesandyes.org. Sarah is a writer and a coach who helps people to spend their time, money and energy on purpose. I describe Sarah as a bit of a life guru. Her website is a real treasure trove of blog posts and free resources, as well as books that she's written on all sorts of different things that are really practical and really supportive of helping us find out what makes us happy and how we can live our lives on purpose and in a joyful way. Her Instagram is a real treat um, and quite different actually from maybe a lot of stuff that you see kind of that's more curated. Um, She's very honest and friendly and really passionate about what she does and helping people to to live their happiest lives. So it was a real treat to chat with Sarah and I hope that you enjoy listening to our conversation. Surprise, it's me again. Uh, Just a little quick uh, PS to the introduction. Um, I just wanted to say that this episode, this interview with Sarah, was recorded before everything happened um, with the murder of George Floyd, um, which is why you don't hear us mention it in this episode, um, because obviously otherwise it probably would have come up, given that Sarah is uh, in Minnesota and um, has been really active in speaking about it and um, raising funds for various different organisations in Minneapolis. So that's why you don't hear us talk about that, even though she's, uh, you know, in that area. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say is just a quick reminder that my Ayurveda for Everyday Life online course is soon to be released into the world. Um, it's exciting and scary, but I really, I really stand by what I'm sharing in this course, which is you know, it's not the uh, definitive guide to Ayurveda. Um, I'm not in a position to give you that at all. It is a guide to um, how, or it is me sharing how I have engaged with Ayurveda from those who've taught it to me and from those who taught it to them. And, you know, this, this ongoing deep tradition that is thousands of years old with its roots, you know, deep in Indian culture, um, and really acknowledging that. Um, But it's me sharing with you what I have found to be most useful and supportive for myself in navigating our modern day lives, my everyday life, um, and finding my way to a sense of inner harmony. And it's the tools that I found most helpful, the questions that I've asked myself, that clients have found really helpful, 
and it's, it's a six week course, uh, it's, it's online, you can do it in more time than that, you can do it in less time than that, you get access, lifetime access for as long as the course itself is alive, um, it's taught through a mixture of video um, or audio if you prefer, and um, you know, text lessons, there's workbooks, journaling exercises, um, things for you to kind of observe and notice as you move through your life and then there is movement-based practices to help us really embody this learning and meditations to, to really help us access it from that level as well. So if that's something that you're interested in, if it sounds like something that might be interesting to you, then you can head to my website being-change.com to find out more um, or just sign up to my newsletter. At the point of recording, the sales page is not yet live. Um, so if you head to my website right now, you won't see that there. Um, if you're a keen bean and you've gone there straight away, so the best thing to do is sign up to my newsletter because I will be sending a, an email out to everybody as soon as it is available, which will be in the next week or so, it'll be available to buy. So um, yes, that's all that I wanted to say and I really hope that you enjoy this episode and now really, I promise, we are going into the interview with Sarah Von Bargen. Hope you enjoy. Hello, Sarah. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really happy to have you on and I'm looking forward to having a chat with you. Um, let's get started with my first little intro question. So can you share what your favorite things are about the season of summer? Um, well, I would say in normal times, finger quotes, yeah. <laughs> um, I grew up in a resort town and a vacation town. I mean, I grew up on a lake. Um, and so for me, summer is all about swimming, canoeing, back when I ate meat, about eating fish that various family members had caught, um, the smell of like wet swimsuits and sunscreen. Mm. Um, and also, I think you guys eat rhubarb. <laughs> yeah. In the Midwest, <laughs> we are extremely into rhubarb. Right. Um, and so like rhubarb pie, rhubarb crisps rhubarb jam. Um, as a child, one of my favorite snacks was getting a cup of sugar and a piece of rhubarb and dipping the rhubarb directly in the sugar and then eating it. Um, so that's probably what my favorite time is about, about summer. Uh, right now, all of the public beaches in Minnesota yeah. are closed for the summer. So that's sort of off the calendar uh, for now, but hopefully in 2021, we'll be able to go back to more. Yeah, you can still eat your rhubarb though. Yes, yes. I planted four rhubarb plants um, this summer, so I have high hopes. I want to grow rhubarb. I've just got into gardening, so we, we moved into our new house like last February, and it had a garden, but the people who owned the house before, like it was just decking and artificial grass. So now we have like real stuff growing. Yes. And I want to grow rhubarb, because my mom always grew rhubarb, and she was like renowned for her rhubarb. Her friends would yeah. come over and be like, have you got any rhubarb I can have? Yes. She'd always have loads. But I never ate it as a kid because I was kind of fussy and I was like, it looks weird. It tastes yeah. weird. Like, yeah. so I want to get into the rhubarb. And yeah. it's really, like, once you get going, it's totally, <laughs> like, it just goes by itself. But I mm. want to say that from when you plant it, it takes, like, two years to get mm. big enough to harvest. But, um, but yeah, like, my mom has had the same rhubarb plants, like, my entire life. And you don't... Yeah with them they just grow so I have, you, faith. I have faith in your rhubarb plants thank you I, I'll let you know once they're planted <laughs> I'll share share pictures with you sporadically yeah um so do you want to tell us a bit about yourself Sarah anyone sure. who doesn't know who you are what you do anything sure. you want to share <laughs> 
Um, my elevator pitch is <laughs> that I am a writer, coach, and educator who helps people spend their time, money, and energy on purpose. Um, and I do that through live courses, through self-paced courses, through one-on-one coaching, and through a bunch of stuff that I publish on the internet. Yeah, I I love your website. It's like, I, so I was just sort of digging around a bit and, you know, I've known about it for a while. I've known about your work for a while and I was just doing my research for the podcast. And it's like most people, when I go on their website and can sort of sum them up uh, and like, they make this kind of thing or they talk about this. And it's like, you are really multifaceted and I really like it. So I just summed you up as a life guru. Oh, well, that's my notes. I feel like that's that kind of what you do. Fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, how did you get there? Oh gosh. Um, well, so I have been publishing things online for either 11 or 12 years, which is just bonkers. Um, and I started blogging. I had been living abroad for a long time and I moved back to the U S and it was really hard, like reacclimating. If anybody who's listening has done that is no joke. It, it can feel really lonely. Um, and you can't really talk about it with your friends who currently live where you move because nobody wants to hear about how hard it is to live in the city where they currently live. And it makes mm. and it sound so snooty and condescending. Like, it's so hard for me to live in um, And so I needed a creative outlet and I've been reading blogs for a long time. And I also have a background in journalism and marketing and I'd been getting paid to write since I was 20. And so I kind of figured like, A, this is something that I like. B, I know that I have the skill set to do this. And C, the sort of blog that I wanted to read did not exist in 2008. So I kind of, you know, took, is it the Gandhi quote of be the kindness you want to see in the world, except I was the blog I wanted to see on the internet. And, you know, so I wrote and because of my personality type and my brain chemistry and you know the fact that I started in 2008 like I just kept going I just kept publishing and you know was able to make a career out of it where had you moved you lived in a few different places or did you yes yeah. I had taught English in Taiwan yeah. um I'd been Living abroad and teaching abroad since I graduated from college in 2002. So like I had a bunch of stints in Brazil, in Peru. I lived in Taiwan for a year and a half. And then after Taiwan, I moved to New Zealand to do my master's degree. Um, and then after New Zealand, I moved back to the U.S. And we had with my then boyfriend and we had been planning on just just being home for three months. Um, and then I got a job that was pretty serious, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, so I was teaching ESL in, in, um, the twin cities and that's, and feeling sort of weird about it. And that's when I started the blog. Mm. So in what way were you feeling weird about it? Um, I was mostly just feeling like, well, for one thing, um, I took a $12,000 pay cut moving from my job mm, okay. in to my job in the Twin Cities. Um, when I lived in Wellington, I had a 12-minute walking commute along the ocean. And in Minneapolis, I had a 45-minute commute in stop-and-go traffic. <laughs> uh, 45 minutes each way. Yeah. Um, I went from having six weeks of paid vacation to two weeks of paid vacation. I went from socialized healthcare to America's terrible healthcare system. Um, I was working in a pretty unsafe neighborhood. 
Um, I went from living in a cottage on the mountain overlooking the ocean to a garden level, aka basement apartment, looking at a stoplight. It was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it yeah. was it was not great. Um, and again, my boyfriend at the time was extremely excited to be back in the US. So I couldn't every time I would try to talk to him about like, hey, this is really hard for me, he was he didn't get it. Like he tried mm. to be supportive to the best of his ability, but he didn't get it. And again, I couldn't really, there was, my friends, you know, had a limited scope of patience and, and understanding because it was not an experience they'd had. And, and honestly, like, it feels really condescending when somebody's like, my life, it's so hard for me to be having the life experience that you've been having for the last five years. Like, that's gross. Nobody wants to hear that. Um, and so, I wanted an outlet. I wanted a creative outlet. I wanted something to keep me busy. I wanted something to distract me from the fact that, quite honestly, my life uh, had downgraded in pretty much every way. Mm. It's interesting because, like, you know, everything you describe is stuff that, like, loads of people in America have. You know, the, the vacation time, it's, it sucks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, you know, everything. But yeah. you had gone away and you'd experienced something different. And yeah. then you, you were reflecting on it and it's only with that kind of time, which is kind of something that people are getting now a little bit as well with the lockdown and they're getting that time to kind of, you know, they're not on vacation or anything and that yeah. life is maybe hard, but they're still able to reflect on what's going on and mm -hmm. maybe ask themselves whether that's what they want and whether that's what their, their kind of happiest life is like. And yeah, I feel like that's what you, you kind of help people do. Like you said, you help people spend their time, money, and energy on purpose. And it's kind of, yeah, that's what you've done for yourself. And yeah, yeah. And, it, and most of it came from, it's not like I was born some, I mean, to a certain extent, this is my personality type, but also a lot of this came from having experiences like that and realizing like, wow, what I took for granted and mm -hmm. what you know, I, I took this thing for granted and actually most people have it much harder or like I did X and then I realized why, like the vast majority of things that I teach are things learned the hard way. They're like, I screwed it up. So you don't have to. <laughs> Excellent. Everyone's so grateful for, for <laughs> yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so you talk about, um, and I was reading the about page on your website and um, that you did your MA in, in New Zealand, like you said, in applied linguistics. Yes. And you said, if you want to talk about the impact of our personal narrative, yes. you're the geek for, for whoever wants to. Well, guess what? I want to talk yes. about that. So, yeah. um, so mm. oh, go ahead. no, that's it. Just can we oh, just, okay. yeah, dig into that, the, the impact that the personal narrative we, we have has yeah. on our lives. Yeah, so I initially started my master's, so I had been an ESL teacher, English as a Second Language, teaching abroad, um, and I decided to get my master's degree in applied linguistics, um, and initially when I, when I enrolled, it was like, I, I want to get further training in linguistics so mm -hmm. I can get better jobs, and I was imagining getting better jobs related to ESL, and then once I started taking the classes in my master's program, Far and away, far and away, my two favorite classes were neurolinguistics and um, socio and psycholinguistics, which are all about how we talk about ourselves, um, the use the words we use to describe ourselves, how we talk about ourselves differently to different groups of people, um, how our um, 
how language affects our neural pathways, brain plasticity, um, all that stuff. So weirdly, and I've talked about this before, like I do not recommend going to graduate school for the reasons that I went to graduate school. Like be, especially um, in the US where most of the time you have to pay tens of thousands of dollars to go to graduate school. Like psych, that's a whole nother conversation. But like, I got extremely lucky. I went to graduate school for the wrong reasons and learned things that helped me with the career that I have now. That was lucky. <laughs> don't, don't count on that happening because it usually doesn't. Um, but so many of the things I learned in grad school inform the work that I do today. Like so much of the work that I do is about um, noticing the choices that you're making and literally narrating them to yourself. So saying things like, I am, this is an exhaustion response, or I am buying things because I had a shitty conversation with my sister, or I am wandering around Target putting throw pillows in my cart because I had a bad day at work. Because every time you have a thought, it goes down a neural pathway. And the more often you have the thought, the deeper the neural pathway is. And just like a physical rut in a road, it's really hard to dig your wheels out of a rut. And so like the more often you have a thought, I feel bad, I wanna buy something. I feel bad, I wanna drink. I feel bad, I wanna numb out on Instagram. The more times you have that thought, and usually the thought is subconscious, very rarely are we like having an active conscious thought about like, oh, I feel bad, here I go, picking up my telephone to look at Instagram. Um, but the more often you have those thoughts, the more often you engage in that behavior, the deeper the neural pathway gets, the more likely you are to have those thoughts again. But the good news is you can absolutely dig new neural pathways, develop new habits, develop new thought processes that are healthier, that are gonna get you closer to what you want but you really have to make an active effort to do it. Mm. It's uh, so many different things I want to say, but on your, your example of like, oh, I feel bad here. I am looking at Instagram. I did a, um, an experiment a few years ago. I had a, a month off most online stuff. I still kind of use my emails a bit for work, but like no social media. And like, I try not to Google stuff and like all of this thing. And I found myself uh, when I was having feelings that I didn't want to have that were difficult and I didn't want to deal with occasionally. So I found myself wanting to pick up my phone at those times. I was like, well, that's interesting. Yeah. And then at one time I remember I picked up my phone and I was scrolling through my uh, gallery of just my, my photos I'd taken because I so badly wanted to do that. And that was really interesting. Yes. Yeah. It's literally muscle memory. Mm. Like the same way, like if you were um, an athlete, if you played a sport for a long time, like we've all watched the karate kid with like wax on, wax off mm -hmm. and how he's building the muscle memory. Like he's waxing the house, but he's actually building muscle memory that he's going to use in karate. Like it's literally the same. You have built a muscle memory that when I feel bad, my hand reaches out to grab something and my finger goes like this. Mm. Um. Another thing that was interesting that I thought about from what you were saying about the neural pathways, it's just a comparison to a uh, yogic philosophy and in, in, in yogic philosophy that called the samskaras, which could sort of translates as like lines kind of in the sand. And it's, it's, it's the same thing. It's like we build these beliefs, these false beliefs often about whatever the world, us as well in particular, you know, is that what we tell ourselves about ourselves, isn't it? Like I'm not good enough. I don't know enough to do that. I'm bad with money or whatever. And, yes. um, and then the thing through through yoga is obviously kind of trying to build that self-awareness all of that through meditation practice or whatever to be able to see what you're doing and then yeah. kind of start to draw new lines in the sand. Yeah. Kind of yes. I heard ones. somebody draw a parallel. Uh, 
in Harry Potter, there's some, I forget what spell it is, but like he points, you know, like if somebody's wearing the invisibility cloak or somebody's invisible and you're uh -huh. like, and you say the thing, it like reveals the thing. And so like, that's our neural pathways and our thoughts. Like most of us don't realize that on some level we're thinking, I'll feel better when I buy this thing. I'll feel better after I look at Instagram for an hour and a half. I'll feel better after I drink three cocktails. We don't even realize that's what's going on. Mm. You have to, you have to notice that those thoughts are there, which is, it's hard. And I mean, it is totally. And the other thing is like, it took, it took us years or even decades to develop, to dig these neural pathways. Mm. It's going to take a minute to build new ones, which is unsexy. And nobody wants to hear Nobody wants to hear that it takes an average of 65 days to develop a new habit. And it yeah. can take up to 230. Like, I know that sucks, but when we believe all those like listicles about how like 21 days to a new you, like that shit's not true. Mm -hmm. When you believe it and you fail, which you're going to because it's not backed by science, um, it's gonna reinforce your beliefs that you're not good at these things and you can't do it. Mm. Yes, yeah, we, we've become really used to wanting, you know, conditioned to want the quick, yeah. easy thing and the easy oh, way oh. out and conditioned to comfort and like, doing this work and it's like you said it is work it's also uncomfortable you know to notice these things about yourself and to accept them and then to try and change them and then to fail and to know you're doing it oh, again yeah. and then... oh my gosh and like I literally teach these things and it's still hard for me yeah like I was, I was um so I'm currently running a live round of my course bank boost which is a course that people that helps people change their spending habits mm -hmm. um and one of the things I noticed myself doing. So there are three parts in three parts of bank boost. One is um, we call it a fun budget and it's reducing regrettable spending. Another part is rescuing wayward money, which is like negotiating bills down and like canceling subscriptions. And the third part we call an earning spree, which is where you like actively make money. And the thing that I noticed myself doing, and I posted about it in the Facebook group and everybody was like, oh my God, absolutely, is most of us know these are the things that I could do that would bring in a lot more money. And they're usually incredibly uncomfortable. It's things like filling out the incredibly complicated paperwork for COVID, you know, like a COVID loan or, you know, like following up on that $1,600 invoice that they haven't paid. Mm -hmm. Or in my case, it was finally publishing a, um, my new coaching page that I've been polishing for literally two months and then emailing my newsletter list about it. And instead of doing those things that will add thousands of dollars to our bank accounts, we're all like selling a lamp for $10 on Craigslist <laughs> or we're like spending 45 minutes negotiating our cell phone bill down by $10 a month. And like that stuff is important. But when I, when I, I, had, I said in the Facebook group, I said, this is what I find myself doing. These are the things that will make me a lot of money. And you know what I'm doing instead? Scheduling stuff into Instagram or like creating new images for my Pinterest instead of doing these uncomfortable things that I know will bring me thousands of dollars. So are you doing that? And it was just like comment after comment of people being like, yeah, I need to email my biggest client. And instead of doing that, I'm like selling things on Poshmark for $7. So all of this is to say, like, yes, it does kind of, you know, it gets easier. It's a muscle, but also like every person you know, every therapist you know, every life coach you know, they're still working through this. 
I mean, maybe there's a person in the world who like never struggles with temptation and like never ever, you know, engages in like productive procrastination. I have never met that person, <laughs> but I mean, maybe they're somewhere. But then I think if you're like, you know, if you're doing the kind of work that you and I do, for example, where you're, you know, working with people on this stuff to help themselves like feel better in their lives or whatever. And if, if we were saying, oh, but I've got it, I've done it all in perfect. Like I wouldn't buy from that person. No, no. <laughs> and the other thing I will say is like, uh, a parallel that I've heard is it is rare. Like the issues that we all struggle with in our lives, self-sabotage, self-doubt, temptation, procrastination, perfectionism. It is rare for any human, no matter how evolved or smart to like 100% solve that problem in every area of your life. It's usually mm. a spiral. Like mm -hmm. you solve it. Maybe you solve it in terms of your professional life, but then you find yourself a year and a half later dealing with it in, with friendships. And then you work through that. And then maybe a year later, you find yourself dealing with it in your romantic relationships. And then a year later, you find yourself dealing with it in your relationship with your kids. Mm. And it gets easier to work through because you have the tools and you know that like, okay, like I used to be non-confrontational when it came to my professional life. And I've worked through that and I know how to do that. Like, a lot of this stuff is is going to pop up in some manner, honestly, for the rest of your life, which again, falls into the heading of things people don't want to hear. But if you know that, you're going to remember, like, I actually have the tools to work through this. I have faith in my ability to, to work through this and not beat yourself up and think like, oh, I failed because I'm not doing everything perfectly for the rest of my life until I die. Yeah. I mean, I think we get told or sold the idea so often that like improvement or whatever in our lives is like a straight line and it's just a trajectory yeah. that goes like this. And I like that you said it's, you know, it's kind of more like a circular thing, which is something I say all the time, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, we just, yeah, we keep just coming around to things. It's like when everything happened with COVID, I noticed so many of my old patterns coming back just because yes. I yeah. was in such a new place. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, loads of anxiety and fear. And I was just reverting to this default that I practiced, you know, those neural pathways I practiced for so many years. And then again, you just come back to the tools. Like you said, you're just, you're just mm -hmm. equipping your tool belt more and more and you become more able to cope. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. doesn't mean it's not hard though. It doesn't mean sometimes no. it takes weeks if you realize, oh, oh, yes. oh shit, I've been doing that again. <laughs> yes. So. Yeah. And also I remember I was talking to um, a friend at the beginning of all this and she said, you know what? I am, I am not trying to change anything. I am not trying to improve myself. You know what? If I want to watch a lot of TV, I'm, I'm letting myself do that. And I think there's a place for that too. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, which is not to say that we should all lean into the you know, worse versions of ourselves. But there are all going to be times in our lives where we're going to be like, you know what? It's okay if I need to watch three hours of television. Mm -hmm. you know, there, there's a time and a place for that too. Like life doesn't have to be, you know, a constant treadmill of self-improvement. Like it's okay, okay. You know, it's okay to occasionally look at a part of your life and be like, you know what? Good enough. Good enough. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Uh, and I think it's like, if, if you have that awareness as well, then it's okay to be like, okay, well, I want to do this. Actually, I'm going to do that now. And it's rather than just doing it automatically yeah. and falling into it and not knowing that you're doing it, you know, it's like, if you want to, uh, this is the intention. It's like, if you're like, I'm feeling anxious and actually scrolling on my phone for this amount of time will make me feel better. I don't know if that actually makes people feel less oh, yeah. anxious. Does it, it yeah. often makes me oh, yeah, feel more yeah. anxious, but, <laughs> but yeah. I, I will tell people like, it is okay to self-soothe with television, mm. but just like, 
do it on purpose, you know, like actually watch the show, put your phone out of reach, choose a show on purpose. Like that's fine. I think the difference is like actively choosing, like, I feel overwhelmed. I want to take refuge in Gilmore Girls. I will now do that. I am going to watch two episodes and my phone is going to be across the room. That's a totally different experience than like turning on TV, flipping between channels, mm. you know, falling into international house hunters while it's like on the background and you're also scrolling through yeah. your phone. Like those That's, are two very different yeah. That was just like you were in my head. It's like Gilmore Girls, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> very yeah. soothing. Very, very soothing. Yeah. Um, would you say that you've always been a person who's lived your life on purpose with that kind of sense of intention and, and stuff? Or I, some, yeah. I think so. I think so. Yes. Uh, I mean, not not always, always. Um, like the college that I went to, like I literally. I mean, in the U.S., like, choosing the university that you're going to go to is, like, this huge thing. Yeah. Um, I literally toured two campuses. I, and, the, and, the, and the college I ended up going to, I went to because the last three valedictorians from my high school had gone there. I was not valedictorian, but, like, they went, and I was like, they probably know what they're doing. And I toured the camp and I was, campus, and I was like, this seems fine. <laughs> and then I was an English major because I was good at writing, and that was easy. And like, again, all of that all worked out, but I'm not sure that that is what I would recommend to people in general. Um, because I was lucky that that college turned out to be great. And I was lucky that the English program was a good one. And I ended up doing stuff involving words. Um, but I would say it all, I would say doing things super on purpose sort of started with um, right after I graduated from college, I was an event planner. I got a job doing event planning and marketing, um, which seems like very impressive and grown up when you're 22 years old. Mm. Um, and it was not great. I was underpaid. I had an emotionally abusive boss. I worked super long hours and weekends. Um, and I ended up getting laid off after they mismanaged their funds I landed them a quarter million dollar event and then they laid me off. Um, and then I took a job teaching in Taiwan. And that was the first time I had sort of been like, I'm going to divert from this path. Cause I'd always been like, I get good grades. I get into a good college. I get good grades in college. Mm -hmm. I, you know, like do all the right stuff. And then out of college, I get a good, you know, a good job that looks cool. Mm -hmm. um, and then when that didn't work out, it sort of was a wake up call to like, maybe this, trajectory that you've been on where you do all the quote unquote right things isn't maybe maybe you need to be a little bit more intentional and really think about what you want rather than just like doing the quote unquote right thing all the time mm. yeah and I think that's something that so many people face I mean I know that's definitely been my experience and like yeah. most people I would say and some people I guess takes a really long time you know to, to kind of wake up to what they want you maybe I don't know, however old they are, maybe they never do, or, uh, you know, some other people do it younger, and, um, yeah, what, what advice would you give to people if they're listening right now, and they're, they're kind of thinking, you know, they've had this time to reflect, maybe there are quite a lot of people thinking, this isn't, this isn't quite how I thought my life would go, but they don't know. Yeah, yeah. well, I would say, so, the vast majority of my work, so I, the courses that I teach and the coaching that I do is generally around money, habits, and goals. 
And all of those things start with understanding what makes you happy because I don't want you to develop habits that are not in support of things that make you happy. I don't want you to pursue goals that aren't in support of things that make you happy. And if you don't understand what makes you happy, it's very likely that you're spending thousands of dollars a year on things that have essentially like no, what's the point. Um, and it took me a few years of teaching and coaching around this to realize like, because I knew I've known for a long time what makes me happy. So I just assumed everybody else did. Um, and then it took me a few rounds of teaching to be like, Oh, I actually need to create a resource to help people figure out what makes them happy. Because if they don't know what that is, we can't build on it. We can't, if you don't know what makes you happy, I can't help you follow goals, achieve goals that make you happy. So as basic and counterintuitive as it sounds, I mean, I think it all starts with figuring out what makes you happy, not what makes your parents happy, not what makes your neighbors or your partner or your friends happy, but what actually makes you happy. There's a, I have a free workbook called how to figure out what makes you happy. <laughs> um, one of the best, some of the best feedback I ever got was from a woman who said, no joke, this saved me two or three therapy sessions. <laughs> Which I think is a pretty ringing endorsement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so honestly, and maybe you don't need a workbook. Maybe you can list out like, these are the five things that make me happy. Or, and also just as important as understanding what makes you happy is understanding the things that make you deeply unhappy. Mm. Mm. Because sometimes like, depending on the reality of your day-to-day -day life, depending on your personality type and your brain chemistry, Sometimes you're going to get better results by removing the things that make you unhappy. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's impossible to remove the things that make you unhappy. Like if your mom has cancer, we can't do anything about that. So if that is your situation, sometimes you can't remove the stress. All you can do is add good things on top of that. Mm -hmm. But for some people, you're going to have better results by like, okay, I've figured out the things that makes me unhappy is this romantic relationship. Okay, so end that romantic relationship. So I think you have to also be honest about your life and your current reality and like, am I going to get closer to what I want by adding good stuff on top or by removing the bad stuff or kind of doing both simultaneously? Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. And then it's always good to have in your tool belt that, that knowledge of things that make you happy and things that can improve your happiness so that then when you get to situations yeah. that happen, yeah. that you have no control over, Yeah, you can start doing those things that make you happy and sort of make you feel a bit better. Yeah, and the thing that is always amazing to me, because this is something that we work on in Bank Boost, because what I see is so many people, especially women, especially women, parents, people who have demanding jobs, is we spend all week meeting other people's needs, answering their questions, making like good decisions, being helpful, we deny ourselves all week and then we get to the weekend and we over drink, over Netflix, over Instagram, over spend because we've been denying ourselves all week. So we feel mm -hmm. terrible all week. We put everyone before ourselves and then we have two days where we often make a bunch of unhealthy choices in an attempt to make ourselves feel better after five days of denying ourselves. So as it sounds weird that I'm teaching this in a money class, but one of the things I literally teach is that you need to have three or four lovely, fulfilling things that you do during the week that you can look forward to. Because if you don't do those things, you are going to overspend on the weekend. 
Mm. Yeah, I think, you know, you can relate it to anything, can't you? Because it's like the, when people say they're on a diet, but they give themselves a cheat day or the weekend don't count. And it's like, well, <laughs> then, you know, yeah. because you've not had, say you wanted one piece of chocolate yeah. in the week, but you've not had it. So at the weekend you have the whole bar. Or like Yes, yes. Like bar. it's much better, like just have a little bit of chocolate every day mm. because then you're not going to feel the need to have three bars of chocolate in one sitting. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So is there any way that you would define a good life, a happy life kind of, oh gosh. I know. <laughs> I would, I would say like, obviously everybody's interpretation of that is different. It's yeah. specific to you, your family, where you live, a bunch of things. But I would say for me and for most people I know, the more intentional you are with how you spend your time, money and energy, the happier you are. It feels, it feels bad to look at your calendar and have it filled with things that you didn't put there, that are there out of obligation. It feels bad to look at your bank statement and see a bunch of things that you bought mindlessly or you bought because you felt like you should have them. Hmm. Like it feels bad to look back over the last three months and be like, I didn't really do anything for me. I bought that thing because all my friends had it. I went to that party that I didn't really enjoy. It feels great to look at your life and say like, I am doing these things on purpose. I have actively reached out to that friend and we're gonna go hang out because I know every time I see them, they make me happy. I feel great that I bought that set of books that I loved when I was a teenager and I'm rereading them even though no one I know reads those kinds of books. Like one of the things that I think is so interesting is that it can be weirdly hard to figure out what makes you happy if you don't see those actions in anyone in your life. Mm. Like if you, let's say, let's say that you did tap dancing when you were eight years old and now, and you moved cities and you know zero people who do tap dancing. It can be weirdly hard to remember that you like tap dancing and remember that's an option. Um, as an example, my friends love to ride bikes from brewery to brewery. I hate riding bikes in traffic. I hate beer. It took me years to realize, Sarah, you don't like this. Like, I like my friends. I hate riding bikes from brewery to brewery. And, and like, I'm a pretty self-aware person. It took me years to figure this out. And we all have our version of that. We all have our version of bikes and breweries that it's weirdly hard to realize that you don't actually like it. Yeah, so true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think loads of people are doing that. Loads of us are just doing things because it's what our oh. friends are doing. And we think that's the only way as well to see our friends or, you yes, know, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, and it can feel really lonely and weird to be like, um, actually, like, I really like Dungeons and Dragons when no one, you know, likes Dungeons and Dragons. Like, are they going to laugh at me? Who am I going to do this with? How do I like everybody who does this? I bet they already know each other. And like, what am I going to do? Like, how do you even like, or tap dancing? Like, how do you find a group of adult tap dancers when nobody, you know, does it? Yeah. It sounds silly, but it's, it can be weirdly hard. Like growing up to be who you are is hard. Yep. That's very true. <laughs> yep. Um, okay. I wanted to ask you about the name of your website and the tagline. So yes and yes. And then because yes is more fun than no. And that's like, that's been around since you started your blog, oh, yeah. isn't it? So yeah. yeah. 
tell me about it. <laughs> well, I initially, so yes and yes is something that I say all the, I mean, especially I used to, I still do say it, but you know, somebody would be like, do you want to have pizza or cake? And I'd be like, yes and yes. <laughs> um, so I, I chose it because I felt like it was positive. It was easy to remember and it didn't like paint me into a corner in terms of the mm. content that I wanted to publish, you know, whereas like if I would have called it like personal finance is fun or, you know, something <laughs> yeah. like that, yeah, like, yeah. like we can talk about is personal finance. And I didn't want to do that. Um, but I think it generally encapsulates my approach to life which is like, try something, try new things, figure out what you want, try to navigate things from a place of yes, as opposed to no. Um, yeah, and, and, I, and it hasn't painted me into a corner in terms of mm. what I do, which I'm very thankful to 2008 Sarah for having that yes. foresight. Very, very good foresight. Um, yeah. It's kind of interesting, isn't it though? Because uh, I always, when I see that line, because yes is more fun than no, it always makes me think of that advice that people often give around, you know, in this kind of personal development type space of practice saying no to stuff because so many of us say yes, sort of like we were saying, to things that we don't want to say yes to. But I mm -hmm. think your approach is, you know, say yes uh, for yourself. Yes. So say, kind of, say yes to the right stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Say yes to yourself and say yes to the right stuff. Mm. It's kind of sort of flipping that around, I guess, is sort of, so we don't have to practice saying no, we can practice saying yes for ourselves. And it's, yeah, it's yeah. positive. It's nice. It's good. Um, okay. I think that's everything I wanted to, to chat to you about. So I'm going to go right into my final question, um, which is a big one as well. So, you know, <laughs> um, so it's a two part question uh, and it's in your ideal vision or your dream vision of the future. What changes would you like to see people having made towards living their more most purposeful and holistic lives? And then the second part of that is if people want to start moving in that direction, what small changes could they make right now? Oh gosh. Mm. In a perfect world, in a perfect world, I would hope that people understand themselves well enough to understand what fills them up. And here's the tough part, have the wherewithal, the emotional and psychological resources to take action on that. Because it's one thing to know, like, you know, going riding bikes and drinking beer with my friends doesn't fill me up. I mean, hanging out with my friends fills me up. Bikes and beers does not fill me up. So that's step number one. But having the wherewithal and the gumption and the confidence to, to opt out of that invitation without being afraid that my friends are never going to talk to me again, without being afraid that they're going to like say like, wow, Sarah's such a boring teetotaler. Um, that's step number two. So in a perfect world, I would hope that everybody knows themselves well enough to know what choices work for them and also has the wherewithal to take action on those choices. And honestly, both, neither of those things are easy. It, mm -hmm. it takes, it takes years to figure that out. And so if you're listening to that, right, listening to this right now, and you're like getting down on yourself because you're not in a place where you're doing that, it's okay. Like this is the work of a lifetime. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in terms of how do you get there? I mean, it honestly starts with a lot of like introspection and self-awareness of what is working for you and what doesn't like, um, an exercise. So an exercise that I have people do is to look through their bank account 
and with three highlighters, a green one, a yellow one, a pink one, go through every single purchase. If a purchase brought you joy, you highlight it as green. If a purchase is unavoidable, like rent or insurance, it's yellow. And if a purchase, if you don't recognize it, if you don't remember it, if you regret it, it's pink. And then you add up all of those categories. As a side note, this is a very emotionally triggering mm -hmm. epiphany. <laughs> no matter what number you get, you are not the first person to get that number. So that's an exercise I have people go through in regards to money. But I would say you can do the exact same exercise with your calendar or with your planner. So mm -hmm. look back through like, what social obligations, meetings, Zoom hangouts, family parties, and like which of them filled you up, it's green, which of them were like obligations like that work meeting, and which of them do you regret? And then change, reschedule accordingly. Yeah, that's a really good idea with the calendar. I'm kind of scared of going through mine. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. it <laughs> is like, like all, I mean, the vast majority of the stuff I teach, I like, there's an asterisk, which is like, this is hard. Yeah. <laughs> you might cry. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's okay if you do, and you're not the first person to have this response. If you, yeah. if you have a negative response, you're not the first person to have a negative response. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. And then I think, um, cause you've got a, uh, a book on, uh, kind of templates for difficult conversations, haven't you? And I, I'm going to link to that cause I think that could be helpful for people if they're then realizing like, Oh no, I have to tell my family that I don't want to do the big zoom call that we're having, you know? Yeah. So yes. I'm going to link to that in case that's helpful for people. Oh, um, let's people know where they can find you online. And if yes. they want to. Um, my website is yesandyes.org. And I am on Instagram, I'm on Instagram stories pretty much every day. Um, and I post on my grid pretty frequently and that's at yes and yes blog. Cool. And I'll put links to both of those in the show notes. So thank Aww. you so much for chatting to me today, Sarah. It's been great. Thank you so much, Ellen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Create Shift. I really hope you've enjoyed it. I would love to hear what you thought. Um, find me on Instagram at being underscore change. Find me online at being-change.com where you can read blogs, find past episodes of the podcast, find the show notes for this episode. So any links that you wanted will be right there and find out more about what I do. I would really appreciate it if you did enjoy this episode, if you'd be willing to hop over to either the Apple Podcasts app, if you listen to this on an Apple device, or to iTunes, find Create Shift and leave a rating and a review. It's not just to feed my ego, I promise, although that is nice. Um, it's so that other people can find the show, because the more people who review it, the more that iTunes, Apple the powers that be will trust that it is a podcast worth listening to and show it to other people who may be interested so thank you in advance for doing that and until next time 